I have an advertisement. If you haven't had enough consumerism around Christmas yet, I have more for you. <laughs> no. um, so, we've been talking a lot about Bibles this week, and I want to encourage you guys, if you don't have a study Bible, and it'll say study Bible in the title, to check out getting a study Bible, because they have loads of notes at the bottom that help explain all the stuff up here. It's also a good thing if somebody says, I've tried to read the Bible, but it doesn't make any sense to me, or it's hard to understand. So the Bible is super, super important that it is translated accurately. Unfortunately, in our current pop culture, we don't have any of the literature types that are often found in the Bible. So we're not used to reading Jewish, Middle Eastern biographies or ancient documents of history as, that were once recited as poems, memorized rhyming poems in Hebrew and in Aramaic and translated into English. So if you get a Bible that's a study Bible, you've got all that good stuff out down at the bottom to help translate it another level, right? Um, people ask me a lot, what is the best Bible translation? And I always give the exact same answer, whichever translation you will read the most. Because it's highly unlikely that you're going to develop this whole new line of theology from whatever translation you read, because you're going to go off of what someone else is teaching in so many other ways, right? Um, so if you're humming along through the New Living Test, the the New Living Translation, that my son Isaac always jabs me because it's so loose and it's so free, and I love it. Um, if you're humming along through there and you read something and you're like, that's the opposite of what John MacArthur said. Well, grab your NIV and check it and, you know, call up somebody and say, hey, I just read this in NLT and that's crazy sound. Well, yeah, work it out, right? So anyway, um, study Bibles are awesome. The other thing, if somebody's already got a study Bible, is get them a little tiny Bible that they can take with them all the time and read a whole bunch because that... If you, if you start your day reading, I used to have a buddy, and he is not an evangelist. He was not over-the-top religious, but he would tell people, he'd be like, if you read three verses of the Bible today and believe them in context and just try to figure out what that means, it'll transform your whole life. And he would challenge people to do that. Just read three verses, understand them in the right context of what they're saying, and then try to figure it out, it'll change your life. And sometimes those cheap little tiny Bibles are good for that too. This concludes the sponsored portion of this sermon. Please like and subscribe. Follow my affiliate links. Alright. So around 600 B.C. 600 B.C. The prophet Daniel was in Babylon. He was a prisoner of the king. He was, um, he was treated, he was treated nice. Like he got nice food. He got nice clothes. 
but it's kind of like if you got kidnapped today and you were taken to Moscow and they gave you all the food you wanted and all the nice clothes you wanted, but you can't ever go home and you're going to be in Moscow. And by the way, you have to learn Russian, but you have everything you could ever want, but you can't ever go home and you can't ever speak English again. So it's like you're a prisoner, but you're not a prisoner. Oh, and we're going to shave your head and we're going to give you a bunch of face tattoos. So, because they did some of that kind of stuff to Daniel too. Um, so he's a prisoner, he's a slave in Babylon, but he has some freedoms in his household. And he prays and he, he worships God and he has a vision at night in a dream. And this is in Daniel 7. This is what, in Daniel 7, he wrote down what his dream was. I saw in these night visions, he saw a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just picking a little section of it out. With the clouds of heaven, there came one that was like a son of man. So he's been talking about all these beasts and dragons and these creatures with multiple heads and all this. And now one comes up that's like a son of man. It's like a human. And he comes up to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is this, there's this throne and there's just light and there's something sitting on that throne. You know how in a dream you're kind of like, and then we all went to Mars. And you never even saw Mars, you just kind of thought that in your dream, right? So when prophets had visions, they kind of just knew stuff without having to describe it or even having to see it. So with the clouds of heaven, there comes one like a son of man. He comes to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Today, Gracie came up and I presented her, right? Here she is. The, ancient, the, the son of man is presented to the ancient of days. And to him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all people, nations, all languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that can never be destroyed. So imagine you're Daniel. And you heard, you lived in Jerusalem. And you were in the aristocracy. You were a part of the rich kids. And you were, you were going to the best schools and all that stuff. And you heard this prophet Isaiah saying, y'all are going to starve to death. Y'all are going to get just killed. You're going to get wiped out because nobody's serving the Lord. And you're going to get dragged off to Babylon with fish hooks. And once you're there, after 70 years, you're going to come back and I'm going to restore you. So he personally knows about a kingdom falling, a kingdom being set on fire, burned to the ground, and everybody hauled away. So when he has a dream that this son of man is going to have a kingdom that will never pass away. Wow. Because they thought the Jerusalem, they thought the kingdom of Israel would never pass away. And it did. Right before his eyes. He was a part of it, passing away. But the son of man is going to have a kingdom that will never pass away. 
That was in 600 BC. Let's go back further. Let's go back to 1000 BC. So 400 years before Daniel, 1000 BC, King David has taken his throne. And he sits and he is the, the second king of Israel. Saul got fired, so to speak. And now David is there and he has, you know, wiped out all of his enemies and expanded his borders and taken land. And he's just like enjoying the, the wealth and the riches and the victory of being a king. This is 2 Samuel 7. So we were at Daniel ch chapter 7. Now we're in 2 Samuel 7. When the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Ah, oh, I live in a house of cedar, but the ark of God lives in a tent. So David's house was this awesome house of cedar wood. And the Ark of the Covenant was in the old, I mean old, you guys, tabernacle down in Bethel. And it was just in a tent. And he's like, this isn't right that I live in this nice house. And the Ark of the Lord is in this little tent. I want to build a house. I want to build a temple for God to dwell in. So Nathan goes and he hears from the Lord. And like all prophecies in the Bible... The prophecy has to do with the current, that actual event, but it also has to do with the future. And so God says, go tell my servant David, would you seriously build me a house? He didn't say those exact words, but it's like that. I haven't lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt. I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, David. So David just wanted to build God a house so, because this tent was shameful compared to David's big house. And God's reply is, I'm going to build you a house, David. Now you might think, well, David already has this house. That's why this whole controversy came up. God's not talking about something, some wooden shack, right? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Okay, so we know Solomon, son of David, builds a house for God, builds a temple. So that's where the prophecy affects current time for Solomon, for David, right? He shall build my house, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wait. So Solomon's not going to live forever. So the fulfillment of this prophecy isn't just Solomon. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. So we know Jesus is the son of God, right? That phrase is used. So maybe this applies to Solomon. Maybe this applies to Jesus, the Messiah. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. Okay, so Jesus didn't commit iniquity, but he still got the stripes like the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him the way I took it from Saul. 
and your house and your kingdom will make sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So some ways this was established in Solomon, but then Solomon had kids and and they had kids and they had kings and those kings are just awful. Like if you read 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, those some of those kings were terrible and they did not get established at all. So this didn't come true through Solomon. But it was going to come through true in another way. All right, so let's go from there to Bethlehem. And you hear Bethlehem, and you know, oh, yes, you know, the, the cradle. Yes, you know, there's, you've got the whole scene. No, 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 go back. Rewind further. Guess who's buried in Bethlehem? Ooh. Rachel. Remember, Jacob had this beautiful, he, he uh, Laban's daughter was beautiful. Rachel and he loved her and he wanted to marry her and then Laban swapped did the wife swap trick on him and said oh there's Leah whoops sorry but not really and then he's like I want to marry Rachel and he's like you gotta work here for another seven years and he worked and then Rachel was the one he loved Leah not so much but they had all these kids and his favorite kids came from Rachel which was Joseph and Benjamin Rachel dies. She's buried in Bethlehem. Oh! Fast forward to Ruth. The book of Ruth? What? Yes. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to travel in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So the book of Ruth, and all the people in the book of Ruth, that's what we're going to do next, by the way. They were from Bethlehem. And so if they're from Bethlehem, and I'll just spoil it right now, they lead on to the the family of David. They're ancestors of King David. David is ancestors of Joseph. Oh, I I gave one spoiler away. Okay. So then we go to Micah, a little bit closer, about 700 B.C. before that. Micah, the prophet, says, get your troops together. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. These are all the Assyrians and the Babylonians are coming to attack because the people have all turned away from God. But you, Bethlehem, You are too little to be even mentioned among the tribes of Judah. But from you will come forth one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Where did we hear ancient of days? We heard that from Daniel, the ancient of days said. So if you're a Hebrew kid and you're hearing all these things, you would hear these same words and you'd be like, that's this and that. And you would put it all together. Okay. Therefore, he will give them up. God's going to give up people to all these warring nations. Give them up until the time when she's in labor, has given birth 
And then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. And he will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So there's a guy that's going to be born in Bethlehem after everybody's spread out all over the world. And he is going to bring back the, the, the body of Israel. He's going to shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will dwell secure. And he will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Micah chapter 5 says that. That this guy is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to bring everybody together that, that really follows God. And he will be their shepherd and he will be their peace. Wow. So all that happens. All that's written. It's documented. Uh, rabbis study it. They discuss it. They all know it. And then somewhere around between 4 and 6 AD by these calendar that we're trying to they try to figure out Caesar Augustus puts out a decree that everybody needs to go back to their father's land and get counted for the census. And this guy named Joseph who's descended from Ruth who Ruth married Boaz, who was from Bethlehem. So Joseph takes his soon-to-be-married to wife, Mary, who is with child, back to Bethlehem, not knowing, well, actually knowing, <laughs> that he's about ready to fulfill about a hundred different prophecies. Can you imagine that? Like, it's important, and we're going to talk about in a minute, the humanity of Jesus. But can we talk about the humanity of Mary and Joseph for a minute? So an angel appears to Mary. This is before electricity. This is before TV and movies and special effects. And there's a dude that just appears out of nowhere in front of her. She is afraid of him. So there was something... I mean, it wasn't just like somebody walked in the room and you weren't expecting them. It's somebody appeared to her and she's afraid. Joseph has had dreams and seen angels in his dreams that have told him things that have already come true. That have already been confirmed in him. And so now, we don't know, we don't know how good Mary and Joseph knew the Bible. And we don't know, they weren't rabbis, so they didn't have the whole thing memorized. It was a part of their culture. They at least heard it every Sabbath. They, you know, they heard excerpts because they were faithful. It says that they were, they were righteous in what they did. But we don't even know if Joseph knew that by traveling with his super pregnant fiance wife that he was fulfilling Micah 5, Daniel 7, and 2 Samuel 7. A promise to David was happening. He did know the promise to David because we know that from what Mary says in Luke 1. So they go. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. This is all in Luke 2, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
so their betrothal process, just culturally, the way that worked, um, you know how sometimes nowadays people will get engaged and then the engagement breaks off and you kind of feel bad for them and you're like, oh, that, that was a bummer. Um, their engagements were a lot more severe. Their engagements were on the level of the wedding before the wedding. So it's, it's, like, it's like they're married. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. In the same regions there are shepherds out in the field. So there's shepherds out in the field because it's springtime and the sheep are giving birth to more sheep. It's the birthing time for sheep. And it's right around Passover. And so they're out there all night long. They wouldn't usually do this, but they're out there all night long to help the sheep give birth to more sheep. And so they're watching their flocks all night long. Uh, a baby sheep that's just born is going to be an easy target for any kind of praying animal, any of your lions, tigers, bears, oh my, any of that. So they're watching, they're, they're fending this off, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. It says, an angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's dark, you guys. It's super dark. But the whole sky is lit up bright like fire. They are afraid. What is going on? They say the Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the thing you guys have been waiting for forever. They say, uh, here's how you'll know it's true. And they tell them the most ridiculous thing you would ever hear in your life. There's a baby in a feed trough. To prove it to you, we're going we're gonna to take you to a baby that's in a big pile of, of grass, of mowed grass. Like, who would do that? That's so, you would only do that if you're incredibly poor, right? And that's the sign, and that's it. So Jesus is born. They see Jesus. They worship. They tell Mary and Joseph, the whole sky was full of angels out there. And they're like, we've seen those angels. We didn't know that there were more of them. Well, they're all out there. How many? All of them. They're all singing. A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. You, your peace has now come. The, the fulfillment of Micah 5. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. They shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. He's going to spend the next 30 years explaining what that means. Right? What, what Jesus' peace means. It doesn't mean you're never going to get punched in the face. It means you can turn the other cheek when you get punched in the face. It doesn't mean you're not going to get mocked or yelled at or put down. But it means that none of that stuff is going to matter because Christ has opened the door for you and made a way. So he was a real person. He was born. And he lived and he grew up. He had to learn how to do stuff. He, uh, he didn't just have divine knowledge of everything and just be like... Uh, there's paintings. 
paintings you might see where Jesus just looks like a little man. Or there's statues. There's even statues in Evansville uh, just because they're really, really old. And that was the art style of the time where Mary is holding a baby Jesus and baby Jesus looks like a man. And he's like, behold, I could never make art like that. So credit to those guys for that. But it's not theologically accurate. He was a kid. He fell down and scraped his knee. The Bible says that he was tempted in every single way that any of us has been tempted. He, he experienced every temptation that we will ever experience. We know, because the Bible trivia, the shortest verse of the Bible, that Jesus wept. He was sad about things. We know that he was angry about things. We know that there are times that he was rejected and he felt rejection. There were times uh, his, his own family mocked him and said, hey, if you're going to be famous, you should go up to the city today because today's a good day to be famous. Do all your famous stuff that you're going to do today, Jesus. They, they didn't take him seriously. He experienced all of that. So now i got to give another ad for the study Bible. I didn't even know there's 200 pages of study Bible book stuff in the back of my Bible. And I was skimming through it, and I saw this, and I was like, this is awesome. So when Jesus taught, when he taught people, when the ancient rabbis would teach, they would always quote, well, I'm right because Rabbi so-and-so says this, and I'm quoting him, and I'm quoting him, and I'm quoting him. And they would kind of do a book report, kind of like a high school book report, where you bring in all these other people's ideas and you line them all up, and here's my idea because of all these other ideas. That's how rabbis taught. Jesus taught, and he said, you know, it's written, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, don't resist the evil person. When he said, but I say to you, he was saying, I don't need to quote anybody. I have authority. What? So if you are used to hearing rabbis quoting, 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 and all of a sudden this rabbi comes along, he's like, I'm telling you a new thing. That would either be illegal or he's the son of God. Or he has that authority. There were other things that Jesus did in his life that uh, like on, on the Great Commission, when he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. It says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Jews are monotheistic. The, the number one commandment, there's only one God, and you only worship him. You don't worship any idols. So for them to bow down and worship Jesus went against 3,000 years of Jewish teaching unless he really is God. When they worship Jesus, that is as bad as worshiping the golden calf if he isn't God. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, there's a part where they said they worshiped him. There's a couple different parts. Jesus doesn't stop them. 
in Daniel, in Revelation, there are places where an angel comes and speaks to the prophet, and the prophet falls on his face to worship. And the angel says, Get up, get up, get up. Don't worship me. But Jesus never said that. So here he is. He's fully man. He has experienced everything we would ever experience. But he is also God. Then finally, just there's a, there's a bunch of verses and it's really fun to go through all of these. He showed himself to be God and man at the same time. That he was doing it at the same time. He was giving us a glimpse of this is what life is like when you're a human, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And so whenever it talks about um, he, he could tell about the woman at the well and he knew when she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You don't have a husband. The truth is you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now isn't your husband. That was God communicating with him. That was the Holy Spirit in him living in him. That was his godness and his his deity and his humanity all happening at the same time. And so here he is. Deity and humanity all at once. And he willingly, voluntarily, went to the cross. And he died on the cross. And he really died. It says in Ephesians that he entrusted himself to God the Father. The ultimate act of obedience, the ultimate act of submission was... I'm going to be dead, so I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm, I'm going to be totally submitted and at, at, your, at, your, at your will or at your mercy. And he did that for us. He did that for everyone that would call on his name. And so that's what he lives this life a human, a real human life to see people and to interact with people and to teach people. To train these 11 guys, to train these 11 guys to go tell about him and talk about him and to keep telling people about him. So his life was as important as his death. But then he rose from the dead and that's what got everybody in that time and in that culture. That's what shook everybody the most. Philippians 2. Paul wraps a bow around this and gives it to us just in a great way. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but count in humility, count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gives you the power to do this. By the way, Jesus, he, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. As a man, Jesus could have said he was equal to God. He didn't say that. He humbled himself, took the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men, found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. He was submitted fully to God the Father. And God the Father raised him from the dead as a show, to show off. He is right. Everything he said is right. 
I'm with him. I'm supporting him. And here he is alive. So, as you celebrate Christmas, uh, it's not just the birth of Jesus that we celebrate, right? It's the whole kit and caboodle. They, we, have a, we have a really cool... I'm not supposed to talk about it. This is one of those things you're not supposed to talk about. So we have a really cool thing on our Christmas tree. And it's this big metal nail. And it really kills the Christmas spirit completely when you think about it. And Cindy handed it to We're putting all the ornaments on the tree, and Cindy hands it to me. She's like, here, this goes on the tree too. I'm like, come on, we're eating cookies. It's all ornaments. Like, you never go to the neonatal unit at the hospital and be like, you know, his life expectancy will be 80 years, so he'll probably die right at the turn of the sit. You don't talk about when the kid's going to die, right? And it says, this little nail, it's an ornament, and it says, hang this in a secret spot where nobody knows it. So whenever you look at your tree, whoever hangs it up will remember the whole point of all of this. Is that Jesus came as a man, he lived, and he died for our sins. So it's hidden in there. Nobody, nobody ever comes to our house and says, oh, what a beautiful tree. What's the deal with a big nail? It's hidden in there. But it's a reminder to me, right? Because I hung it in there. So as you go through Christmas, celebrate it, party it, the whole bit. And, and just on top of that, heap a whole bunch of gratitude and thankfulness that your sins are forgiven. That you're being led by the shepherd of peace. The shepherd of peace who will, who will guard you from the worst. Horrible things can happen to us. None of those are as bad as separation from God. Separation from God in hell is, the, is, is so much worse. And God, Jesus has saved us from that and brings us into that. So let that, let that ring in your ears whenever you think about Christmas this year. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you were born and you were a real man and you did real stuff and you had real friends and you had real enemies. You had real joy and you had real pain. And then you rose from the dead as a sign for all forever that death is defeated, that sin has no more power, and that we can rejoice in a God who is with us, in a God who is close to us, a God that actually wants to be with us. We praise you, Lord, and we exalt your name. Amen. All right. Let's sing number 87, Joy to the World.